um, future Jane, if you're watching this, told Ely uh, that I was podcasting today and she said, is that when you use your voice? Make sure you wear red lips. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, thank you for taking a seat at the table. This is our Back to School series, episode two. We're going to be talking about our child's first experience with school. And seated with me is the beautiful Jennifer Dunn. Hello, everyone. And we have the sarcastic Jamie Ramos. Hey, y'all. And the sassy Rachel Flanagan. Oh, I was like, get it, Tabs. No, it's me. <laughs> hey, everybody. And sweet and intelligent Tabitha Cabrera. Oh, so nice. Hello. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, I'm Kim McGuizer. Just kidding. The they, just, they only keep me around here for my accent. Give me the accent. I thought you were say head of the CDC, Kim McGuizer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well my house is crazy and i'm um, the door is shut and it's like a heat wave so i'm on fire ladies fire all right who wants to start <laughs> you want to start if you want so tonight we're talking about like our experience is the first time like our kids going off to school and stuff and how that's different for us because our kids have developmental delays and on the spectrum and have other diagnoses. And my son's first foray into school, we didn't do daycare or anything. It was right into preschool and he went in at three. I think the first big difference for us is like, we had to go through a whole evaluation process because he was showing so many developmental delays, but like personally, I could not even imagine my kid going off and being with other people. And I know like part of that's being like stay at home mom, first time mom kind of a thing, but my son didn't talk. My son, he did not communicate. I don't know how to explain this to people. We had a couple signs for like food things and he could say some words, but they were not communicative. He couldn't tell someone if he was hurt. He couldn't tell someone if he needed to go to the bathroom. He, if he was hurt, he would just scream and you had to find on his body where he was hurt. It was hard for me to even imagine. And with him too, we had finished his evaluation at the end of the school year, the year before he entered. So we had the whole summer. I had a baby during that summer. And so I was like so emotional the first day. My daughter just finished her first year of preschool and the complete difference, like the whole entry process is different. Some good ways and some bad ways. Like I think my son, I got a lot more information about things going on and stuff, but also I could just drop my daughter off. It was no big deal. And my son had a really hard time comprehending what was going on around him. So much so that I was so nervous the first day about how he would react because he had separation issues from me at that time anyway, which I think is normal for a three-year-old. But I just remember like they didn't have me go inside because they thought, and I agree, it was best because the first day of school, like all the parents go in and stuff. And they had me stay outside because they thought it would be worse if like, it's just better for me to drop him off and him go in. And just being so sad about that right off the bat and just immediately feeling the differences between my kid and everyone else and their kid. Um, and even though it was a developmental preschool, but there was typical kids there too. Actually, I would say mostly typical kids. And so just a little moments like that, I think that's the first time I really, really felt different from everyone else. Jen, how about you? Like Jamie, you know, kindergarten was, it was the first time I saw her side by side with peers her own age. And so that was uh, startling and sad. Yeah, kindergarten was a hard year. We didn't have a great entry into it. And, you know, we can save that for another episode, but 
it uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> they were not equipped to handle a child that was nonverbal on the spectrum. They were putting her in a cloakroom. They didn't know what else to do with her. And she sat in a cloakroom till a parent called me in the night. It was actually like off a scene from TV. I actually opened the door into the principal's office because she didn't have time to talk to me, but she made time real quick. <laughs> yeah, opened the door. And she said, you know, we put plants in there. And I said, I don't care if you put Donald bleep and duck in there. Don't ever put my child in the cloakroom again. Um, a parent actually called me crying, like sobbing because they, they witnessed her being put in there. And that's the only, they go, found good old Facebook. They found me on Facebook and found where I worked and looked up the number to my job and called me at my office. I mean, went to measures to find me. So that was, I was thankful for that. But it was like Jamie said, you know, she was nonverbal. She didn't speak when she went to kindergarten. So you're leaving your child in the hands of people that you just have no choice but to, you know, trust and hope for the best. And for us, kindergarten was not a great situation. So I think for any parent, it's hard, you know, but like Jamie said, I'll make you come home and tell her. Um, and she could just, not just, I'm not taking away from that. It's hard to leave your kid at kindergarten. Um, but the difference is one child can tell you the other can't. And, you know, I think that kind of makes that just a little different. Yeah. So that was kindergarten. Mm. Not a lot of fun. And was it's that right. her first? She didn't do preschool or anything? No, she didn't do any preschool. That story gave me chills, Jen. No. Yeah. My, now I'm even hotter. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, that's another uh, You know, day. obviously I want to go hug that parent. Yes. Google Thanks. searcher. Her name was Michelle. Yeah. Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Shout Michelle. out to you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you got to advocate for all children. Mm hmm. Yeah. And she has, she has neurotypical children. So it really rocked her to the core. She was like, I, I can't believe they put her in there. I mean, it just with shoes and boots and jackets and backpacks. I mean, she sat in the corner of it. So yeah. So that was kindergarten. <laughs> a great year. Yeah, lucky she didn't take off from the coat room. Yeah, it was right by the door too. So, what about you, Rachel? You know, we did a whole bunch of different things for Seely from sort of like daycare as I went back to to work all the way through her first year of pre K, and those things ended at like just so Flannaville style. Our first caregiver was more nurturing than being like a center. She's just this mom that's like glorious from my parents' neighborhood. And she actually knew about our adoption before I did. So she had this like amazing connection to Celie even before we got her. And she had been a kindergarten teacher. So we sort of had this like aspect of somebody that knew all the necessary structure and all the stuff, but their house burned down. That was the end of our care. And everybody was fine, but just same is true for like every hitch in our giddy up, we get going on a thing and then something catastrophic happens someplace along the way. And then we have to adjust our sales like this house fire. And then my parents were watching Celie a couple of days a week at one point, And we didn't know about Celie's additional needs in terms of a label, but we sh damn sure knew <laughs> it was a big job. And my mom had gone blind several months before Celie was born. So my dad couldn't do what Celie needed and care for my mom. Like there was just these circumstances in every lane. And by the time we got her assessed and into pre-K, she went right into this extraordinary classroom where there was a balance between neurotypical kids and kids with additional needs, but it was a level three program. And so I think she just did awesome there. Like the Miss Megan was such a peach and she just met everybody at the door and 
long before the bus route got hard or COVID happened, there was just this lady sitting at the entry of this door to this glorious classroom with her arms and heart wide open, ready to like sing song her day way through the next couple of hours. And that is That's like awesome. Seely's Lane. So we had a great entry once we finally got to school, but those daycare like steps in the middle were just probably four or five different things that we did that all ended abruptly and they just spurred up all this like commotion within our shitstorm stuff all the time each time I think there's a big difference too for like a child who's already been in daycare or preschool like prior to diagnosis than a child who's been home because of like behaviors and stuff like that and then is going into a school for the first time whether they're diagnosed or not but I'm just saying like I think I have children at my daycare that are autistic, which had they not been in the daycare setting, you know, if they had just come in at two and a half, like they wouldn't be able to cope with like the structure that's there. But like, I think so. Seeley, I think, I think it's, I've it's interesting. On, on the podcast too, but Celie could never work through five days a week, which is funny because that's still one of our scheduling conundrums, but she couldn't make it through Monday through Friday of daycare. It was just too much. So I was always cutting off the Monday or cutting off the Friday of my schedule as I would adjust jobs and like try and restructure our stuff. Yeah, Kim, I think that having the daycare center behind her prepared her for listening to the tall lady, sitting at the table with the folks, minding your business or making theirs yours or whatever the choice is in the matter. How about you, Tabitha? I know you have two different experiences with two different children, obviously. Yeah, so this isn't something that I've written about or talked about on the podcast, but Nixon, he was in a nanny share because we both have always worked. So luckily when he was a baby, I went back to work and Nick was getting his graduate degree. And so Nixon was home with him for about eight months. And then we did a nanny share for a while. When we decided to go to the school route, we chose a Montessori program. And it was like this granola, beautiful setting. We went in there. He got assessed to make sure he could get into the program. We were super excited about it. It's like the kind of experience I wanted to give my kids. I grew up in public school. Nothing wrong with public school, but it was like a completely like child-centered thing, uber expensive. (laughs) And at that time, he had started early intervention. And so there was a speech delay, which was obvious at the time of him going into the Montessori program. They said it wasn't going to be an issue. So as we started going through this Montessori program, we started getting the things on the sheet sent home like indicators about autism, pretty much. Nixon didn't, you know, respond to the alarm. He's not able to sit at circle time unless he has something in his hand. You know, he's not progressing with the other kids learning the routine of the classroom, like all this stuff. And so while this was happening, I was pregnant with Nora. I had Nora and then they called a meeting with us, basically. And at the meeting, they pretty much kicked Nixon out of their Montessori program. And they sat us down and said, you know, he's welcome to stay for the rest of the year, but we're not going to be having him come back. We don't have the staff. He doesn't fit into the classroom. At the time, he was kind of mouthing objects, nothing swallowing, but, you know, rocks and they had lots of wood chips. How old old was he at this time? He was about two and a half because Nora was born when he was two and a half. Yep. And so they called us into this meeting. I was irate, furious, like you didn't even give him a chance. You know, what are you talking about? He can't come back. Like they're like, he can stay. And so over, this was on a Friday. 
over the weekend, we basically put together a letter that we wrote to the school that said, you know, the way this was approached is absolutely ridiculous. You are treating us like we need to get our son evaluated. He's on a wait list for that. There's nothing we can do to bump him up on the wait list. You keep talking to us about evaluations, which is our choice. And basically give me my money back is what I said. It was a very detailed, poignant letter to the school about their stupid program. I mean, it's a great program. And their discrimination more. more yes. Well, yes. he was a toddler. He wasn't yes. even a preschooler. Right. So it's like. He was a toddler. Yeah. It was very, very emotional. At the time we had the meeting, I was set to return to work in like two weeks for my maternity leave. Uh-huh. So I had a brand new newborn baby and they're saying your son can't return to our program. There's this gross thing that happened to you though, that I've heard where they say, but he's welcome to stay till the end of the year. Yes. Like you want your kid anywhere where they're not actually truthfully cherished. Exactly. exactly. That is the most backhanded thing. I That happens to us. I hate that. Well, and we're in wow. this meeting and they're like, Do, is there anything else you guys want to say? And <laughs> Nick goes, there's nothing left to say at this point we're leaving your building how, right now. how long ago how long before he was diagnosed like between that meeting and his um evaluation? So his diagnosis was around three and a half so, so january uh, 2020 yeah so we were just barely put on the wait list for his developmental pediatrician and he was in early invention already like we had him in everything we could possibly have him in to get him evaluated at that point and like you're supposed to be a program that's set up to have kids work at their own pace. What are you talking about? He's not meeting the, anyway. So then we got a recommendation from a psychologist to go to another program that did work with kids with developmental delays, school program, which was fantastic. Completely different approach to me personally. Like Nixon had major eloping problems at that program. They had an outside gate that was on a busy, busy, busy road, which was terrifying. And they worked with us on the eloping. They got signs, they got locks. And the director there, you could tell she had, you know, worked with all variety of kids. Like they had speech therapy coming in and everything. And then she was the one who said, you know, call the school district because while you're waiting, you can get him into developmental preschool, which might be a more appropriate setting for him than our program because that, you know, it's smaller size. He has sensory seeking and needs and, but they were fantastic with us. And then we got him into developmental preschool, which was great for him. That program was great. The teacher was great. The school is great. And then COVID happened. A lot of my like feelings around the school process kind of center around that Montessori experience, because I know that there are people who are in these systems who don't give our kids a chance. Just give them a chance before you make a decision about who my kid is or what is the harm in modifying something? Right. Like if he needs to hold something to be in circle time, let him hold something to be in circle time. Then he's sitting in circle time. It's not like he was like hurting other children. No, he had zero behaviors. You know, doing like behaviors that were unsafe towards the staff and other children. Like, you know, that then it's like okay that that's something else but like just because he wasn't going along with your routine like yeah can't you hear kim's cdc mm. like manager moderator yeah. <laughs> here in this language she's like well 
himself to a harm or others. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. And, yeah. Well, and then we had Nora who was with a nanny until right before her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then we put her in a daycare program because our nanny was moving out of the, and we had the same freaking experience at the daycare that we had at the Montessori program with Nora. We had discussions with the people. They legitimately told me she wasn't fitting into the classroom, that she wasn't engaging with the other kids. Like she wasn't there very long at all. And I'm like, quit telling me this stuff. (laughs) I've already told you she's set up for a freaking evaluation. I have, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to pull her from this daycare? Because if that's what you want, then just say that. But don't talk to me every day about my daughter's development. It was so maddening. And I'm going through like a second diagnosis that came on like with a dramatic, swift experience. And then you have someone every day calling you or talking to you about your child's development and how they don't measure up to the other kids in the classroom her age. It's exhausting and it's terrible and I understand where they're coming from like it's not their job but they're trying to highlight that you need to be doing something more but I already said that we're doing something more she's in early intervention she's on a list to get a freaking evaluation like cut me a break I did end up telling this lady like unless it's an emergency don't call me at work about my daughter not fitting into your daycare program unless it's to tell me that you want me to have her not be in your daycare program anymore. If it's an emergency or I need to pick her up or she has a fever, then call me. But I've already told you we have stuff scheduled. So anyway, I have lots of like deep rooted anger and sadness and everything around sending my kids off into the world to have other people take care of them and be kind to them and see them for who they are and all their special qualities. Luckily, I've gotten like more of a harder shell about this, but it's crazy how triggering it is for me to have people tell me all the negative things about my kids. It's literally the worst. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it gets me so emotional because they don't understand what they're saying to you. They're basically saying your kid doesn't fit into this world. And I'm going to highlight that for you every day on a sheet or on a call. I live with these children. So I know that there's things that are happening. And maybe some parents don't know that, you know, they need a professional's eyes on it. But anyway, that's my soapbox. (laughs) I have lots of feelings about this, it turns out. I just want to say something about Montessori, just in general. So I studied early childhood education college. That's where I started. And I love the idea of Montessori. And if you read like Maria Montessori's, there's actually a lot of like, I've seen on TikTok and other places, like people talking about like what Montessori has been turned into in America is not what Montessori is. Mm -hmm. She did natural toys and playing things and stuff like that, but she didn't require that. It's supposed to be child-led. And one of the main reasons, one of the reasons, because I grew up going in and out of special education and stuff like that was she part of why she built her philosophy or the way she did was to include kids with special right right? exactly child-led so like all these schools where they're like charging a crap ton of money because they're Montessori they're not truly Montessori and then not being inclusive Tabitha's story always gets to me because I hear that all the time from parents it's like oh my kid couldn't serve himself his lunch so he's not Montessori I'm like that's not Montessori Montessori is supposed to meet him and whatever they can do they're supposed to come in and help them with 
from then on, but the child's just supposed to lead it. So you're supposed to follow the kids right where you can meet them. I don't know. I get really frustrated about Montessori. <laughs> Me too. So Me too. Maybe it's changed your life, your child's life, but like really read what Montessori is supposed to be and don't pay a jillion dollars just because it says Montessori, like really research and see if you like. Mm-hmm. Before I did public education, I looked at, at Montessori as well as private schools at the time. And the Montessori schools were like, it, this isn't a good fit for her. And right off the bat, and actually her SLP said to me, do not put her in Montessori because they want her to follow that line. And they have no, there's no this way or that way. And, and at four and a half, they, the trajectory of where she was going was pretty on point of there's going to be a, a curve of, of what she's going to do. But also I was going to say, um, I didn't do daycare for her. I, uh, the ladies at the table know um, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. And so I panicked and didn't do any sort of preschool or daycare for her. I always had a private in-home nanny. In hindsight, it would have greatly benefited her to be in sort of, I think, a daycare mm-hmm. preschool type setting in hindsight, right? But Well, and I do think like for my kids, any setting that's 40 hours a week, which we didn't have an option not to do that. I mean, there's always an option, but you know what I mean? Like with our work schedules and everything, uh-huh. we had to have some kind of childcare. The nanny setting was definitely way more, con- there was always two kid- kids, so they did have like socialization together, but it was way less stressful, I feel like, than the Montessori program or daycare for 40 hours a week, because that's a lot of kids and that's a lot of noise and lights and all the business, especially for Nora. Um, Nixon is a little bit better in those settings, but you know, there's the options for these things, especially for daycare, if you're pre-diagnosis, if you're pre-potty training, any of that are so limited. It's pretty much like you have to figure out something else. I can just um, tell you from, especially the state, they're non-existent. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah. And I heard you, I think Tabitha saying developmental pre or somebody like you can't get any services until you're three here. So like if you have a child diagnosed at like say two and a half, there's in a daycare, like it's not an appropriate setting for that mm-hmm. child. There's, there's no other alternative. But your state has to provide early intervention, right? But that's nothing. That's them coming to the house for an hour a week. That doesn't provide daycare. That doesn't provide yeah. like any, you might have like a group on Friday mornings from like nine to 10 that you can bring them to, but that's not, that's not a daycare <laughs> option. It's like yeah. services as, as far services as far as like if they need, but even even the services that early intervention offers, I find they're not, you know, it's like you they might get speech once every other week or maybe yeah. once a week if you're lucky, because usually there's way more need for speech therapy than there are therapists. So like they're not getting really the services that they need, but they're getting some services, which is better than nothing. And most of the time at two, like it's kind of okay because they're like teaching you like. The things that you should be doing too is like a big point of early intervention is to teach the parent the things that they can do to help the child along right. as well. But mm-hmm. there's no options for like preschool or like anything like that. That's like for special needs. You know, yeah. I can say, cause I have both sides of it. Yeah. I run a daycare. So like, I understand the other side of it because mm-hmm. I live that every day, right? And then I understand the side of it of having a child with special needs because I, I also live that every day. In the training that these people that work in a daycare get, they have one course that they take in right. nine months of experience working with children, which is nothing. That does not qualify them to work with special needs. It's no. like they're not qualified for it. And then what happens is when people say discrimination and they say, 
inclusion and they say this, like you're put, that child's being put in a place where they can't be properly cared for because these people are not trained to do it. And they have too many kids per people in order to do it. So it's just, it's such a hard situation and there's no other alternative. Yeah. Well, and I, I will say with my my kids, my kids in the daycare programs, it wasn't that they had additional needs. It's that they weren't following the daycare program or Montessori program. My kids yeah. did not have behaviors. They do not, you know, besides potty training, whatever, but most kids in that age bracket are still potty training. So for my kids specifically, it was not like a, you know, they have significant behaviors that are disrupting the class. I just mean in general, I don't mean, say there's lots of kids that we do work with and make modifications and accommodations Mm -hmm. for, Yeah, but we can only do that to a point. Do you know what I'm saying? We can't do that. We can't do that if it's a safety issue. We can't do that if the teacher's are getting like, you know, not able to take care of the rest of the children because this one children child is requiring so much more of whatever it is. Like, obviously, oh, this one needs help feeding. Sure, we can help feed feed a child. That's not, not an issue. Nobody, I mean, I got plenty of typical kids that aren't potty trained when they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? That's not, that's not an issue, but it's when this one child, and a lot of times it it's, steps around aggression you know because unfortunately a lot of children you know that are communicating correctly that aren't getting the tech you know they're in sensory it's over it's loud there's tons of kids is you know that's a lot for some mm-hmm. kids that have special needs so then they're melting down you know and it's just it's a lot a, a lot of daycare teachers are very young you know they're not they haven't had experience with special needs it's just I don't know why there's nothing for kids with special needs outside of like right. it's the crazy. school district. Like it's- it is really crazy because even developmental preschool, like in Arizona, Nixon's program was, I think, from one to three, some like couple hours a day yeah, of just- a program. Yeah. And so then he yeah, would everything. take the bus for like 20 minutes <laughs> there and back. And so then what do you do the rest of the day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he can't yeah. be in well, daycare. Well, that's the thing. Like yeah. as a director where I'm t- like telling a parent, like, oh, you know, gently, not, you know, we try to gently do it in the beginning to try to kind of get them, you know, to maybe like talk to the pediatrician or think about getting them evaluated or call intervention, early intervention, whatever it may be. But then as I'm like, oh, you should call your school district. But in my head, it's like, well, they're not going to do crap because this mom's a working mom. So what she can, even if they qualify, they'll go nine to 11. Yeah, and like yeah. my town sucks. They suck for like you have to be really these kids that definitely need it but like aren't like on the severe side not just autism of just you know in general they won't get services like you have to really be it has to be substantial accommodations needed for them to even like take them into the school system here because they're terrible here because it's all about money you know what I mean so it's like they're like no they're and we're like like you know they're not you know we're trying to get them the services but then the schools won't take them but even if they do, it's two hours a day. Like what's the parent supposed to do for the rest of the, right? you know? And I think with a lot of autism, it's not usually a lot of like physical issues. Uh, obviously behavior is like usually the biggest thing, but it was like, Jesse couldn't like concentrate or, and mm-hmm. right. why we couldn't do, I couldn't think to do daycare. Cause even if we did like nursery or we did like kid, like a little kid sport thing or something, there's like one person there, maybe two with several children. And it's like, like you were saying, Tabs, it wasn't necessarily his behaviors, although he would cry and scream a lot in the nursery at church, but it's the fact that like, there's not enough people there. So even the fact that yeah. he to say sitting at the table while everyone else is going on a nature walk, there's no staff to stay yeah. at the 
with him sitting at the table and I don't blame them. They have to pay people so much. These workers aren't being paid. Right. This weird in between thing. It's like, well, he just doesn't understand being with the rest of the group and you don't have an extra person to explain that stuff to him. Like, it's just like this weird, I mean, it's hard no matter what, but it just sucks that there's nothing for anyone. Such an emotional time to that pre-diagnosis time frame where not only do you have the daycare school, whoever talking to you about your kid's development, but you also have early intervention. You have your family making comments, maybe friends, you know, or you see your kids around your friend's kids and you're just in a time warp. And then on top of that, making decisions about how you're going to work or pay your bills or pay for services or whatever it is. It's like the balance is always, one side is always tipping, I feel like, especially in that, those early stages. And when we got Nora's diagnosis, I was like, how the hell, how the hell are we going to do this? Like, it just seems logistically impossible, you know, (laughs) like, just, just, Mm-hmm. so so like my our situation is obviously it's kind of the opposite of all you guys so Alyssa was diagnosed prior to going to school well I guess Kaya also was so she was diagnosed at I think she was 2.3 we were working with early intervention before she was diagnosed and they had suggested ABA at the time so she did that until she turned three and then I was just like Alyssa I mean I half blame the time I half blame probably my age because I remember early intervention saying, oh, we'll work with the school district. They have an integrated program. They can have, you won't have to pay for it. And I remember thinking, oh, that's great. No, it's it's really not great. <laughs> yeah. But like I was in a little bit of denial about her diagnosis. I think in my mind, she was going to catch up and be fine by kindergarten. It was going to be... Yeah. You know, she's going to get the therapy and she's going to go to preschool and and she'll catch up. I was living in delusional land. And then as it got closer for her to go to school, I just remember thinking like, I mean, I can't get this kid to keep shoes on. How is she going to go to school? And she was going to get picked up by a van. So she once she turned three, she would go to school from 1130 to 230. Then she turned three in April. So then she would do like a, a summer program. And then in the fall, she would start full time, which would be 830 to 230. Now she's never really been away from me. My mother-in-law would sometimes come and help out because I was going through school. So that's the reason why like we didn't really have a need for daycare for her. And then, yeah, I just remember then kind of almost being in panic. Like she's not going to go on a van with people she doesn't know. Like <laughs> yeah. this is like insanity. Like she's not going to follow along with the school. Like she, you can't get this kid to sit in a chair for more than five minutes at a time. And then obviously I went and I looked at the school and they actually had a two-way mirror there. So this is the time when you're allowed to be in schools way way back on the day <laughs> so like they're like you could come you can you can like not obviously sit there all day but you can like kind of watch and like see how she's doing and stuff they were really great about it um they had tons of experience so it was half kids that had special needs half typical kids and then they were like yeah you should just like send her an underwear and I'm like these people are out of their mind like send her an underwear. Underwear. she doesn't I don't even know if she knows where the toilet is. Like, I mean, this is, she had like so many issues going on that like the last thing that I was even thinking about was potty training, you know? And um, they're like, nope, just, just send it, just send extra clothes and we'll take care of it. So it was like, I feel like I was like in like a twilight zone type of thing because it was like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, now I was the delusional one, but I really thought they were the delusional ones because I was like... <laughs> I don't think any of this is going to happen. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to get her dressed. And, and I think I did drive her in the beginning at first because I was kind of like, 
nervous about putting her on the van and like, I don't know if she would like go with people and stuff. And she did great. I mean, she thrived at school and she got speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. They loved her. I mean, I think they're probably just so happy to have a girl because there was no autism around back in that day. <laughs> she was just adorable, sweet. She had a lot of issues, but when she wasn't having issues, she was just happy and lovable and stuff. So they... You know, and they did, they got her an underwear. I mean, for a good little while, she wouldn't go to the bathroom at school at all. She would just stay dry all day. And That's then it. I would put a pull up on her once she got home. <laughs> She's not doing this for me. Yeah, hold her for the whole day. She did that for weeks. And then they said, oh, eventually she'll do it. And I'm like, eh, uh, you know, this girl is stubborn. But she's like, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. The lady said, so am I. <laughs> she said, eventually she will go. And okay, still doesn't go. Jesse holds it all day. Yep, Jesse. All day. No. Nora is a holder too. She holds. Do you know what? Our kids have great bladder control. They do. Out- <laughs> outstanding bladder control. Yes. Yeah. Well, eventually she went and then eventually she went at home. Like just, it was probably like maybe two months later, one day she just went on her own at home and then she was body trained for pee. I mean, and she didn't communicate. Like Jamie said, I know exactly what you mean when you said that. It's not just that they're not talking. It's like, they right. don't, yeah. they're not able to communicate. And there's so much like frustration built up with them. But I'd have to say like our experience was pretty good. And I don't really think I fully like kind of like had my head wrapped around like what this meant that, that this was going to be a lifelong thing. Like I really was just thinking she was going to go there. They were going to help her. She's going to get some speech therapy. She's going to learn to talk like and then everything would just be fine like in the gut you know so just the school <laughs> stresses me out we got kindergarten coming up people and it's freaking me out we have two weeks yeah i wish someone could just like i could do a tag team and just have oh. someone else deal with the school system and just make sure everything's right <laughs> Like we know a couple of people that can do that yeah. <laughs> really? that's what they do i can yeah, do yeah. i'll help you Really stressful. I'm not thinking of Andrew and Kirby just saying those. Oh, oh, those kind of. But aunties can swoop in too. Yeah, I was exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, (laughs) I have two kids to do IEPs for in this month, and I'm. Oh yeah, hire the big guns for those. I was uh, just thinking you needed some lady to call (sighs) them to be out. The thing is, is our story is so different. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I know many of these details of you guys as children or your history or things, but like hearing it together at first Tab said it, then Kimmy gave it the Hail Mary. I think Jamie had a little too. I don't, I think Jen and I are a little maybe more similar, but I have run into exactly 7,004 people who are willing to say that my daughter is quirky or busy or throw some like words around, but nobody called a spade a spade until I was like, what the fuck? Is this a spade? Like, I thought, like, what? Like, I was bewildered when we got our diagnosis. And man, I'm just a, a mom of one kid. I waited forever. So even though I knew, like, hey, this doesn't seem quite like what's happening in my friendsville. I'm like a shit show. Like, where's your shoes? Did you just get out from under the car? You know, I'm struggling out of the gate. And I would stand in the lobby sweating or maybe crying or sometimes shaking and sometimes just like in my thing. And I would ask the people, the professionals that I was paying to care for and nurture my kid, you know, this is in the center days. Hey, I've only done this one time. She doesn't talk to me. We've lost all the words. Is something seeming weird to you? 
she's just great. She's great. Like nobody would say shit. And I get that. Like I get, I understand because my friend Kim CDC McIsaac, who is an authority on all the goddamn things has told me that legally you can't say the things you cannot say it. So unless there's like some lady like tabs ran into or everybody else apparently gets these folks that are willing to offend you deeply. <laughs> there was nobody saying the damn thing. Like I do remember this one daycare gal, the Kim at the center that we were at in Wisconsin. And she said, Oh, I'm doing this training. It's only this far away. And like, she's really kind of selling the training, but never closed the deal for parents, for parents. And I said, Oh, cool. What, what is this training? Cause I like to learn. Oh, it's for kids with um, all the trauma. And I was like, <laughs> good luck. Hope you bring the cookies. Enjoy. See you later. I thought because I caught my kid in the delivery room, my adopted child in the delivery room, like she had just been born, hugged immediately, nurtured, sparkled, shined, adored, razzle-dazzled, all of this love poured into her that she could not be traumatized. Like how, why would this trauma make any... Uh, like enjoy your weekend bye felicia i don't need trauma training oh well if i could go back in time and that lady would have said a real sentence to me like hey girl just because your kids adopted you should come with me to this class hey girl just because blah 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 oh just because you think your kid talks at home and she doesn't talk at school or like there was thousands of flags that we just walked right on by well and i think that's like such a good point rachel and i think that happens to a lot of people because they're like well, school never said anything because we Hell can't yeah. say because we can't say anything. We can say things like, "Oh, maybe there's some red flags. We're going to recommend that you call early intervention, or maybe you should talk to your pediatrician." But then you got to get some parents are dead; they don't want to hear it. They're dead, dead set against anything that you're going to say. So yeah. then it's really hard because you can only say so much. I had a early intervention specialist working with a child at my daycare. And I already had suspicion that this child could be on the spectrum. And me and her talking and she said, oh, do you see any signs of, and I was like, autism? I'm like, yes, I'm pretty sure he has it. I'm like, I have a daughter. I know a lot of the signs that maybe like some people wouldn't necessarily pick up on. And I said, did you tell mom? And she goes, oh no, we can't say that. Which I'm that like, you pisses me off. Are you here? You can't that say it. That pisses me off. About early intervention so much. Who is supposed to who is these, supposed to right? tell these people? Right. So it makes sense that we can't tell them because so here not, I am groaning and sweating through my bra yeah. in the fucking hallway, wondering why is everybody not purple, wrinkled, sweating, struggling, sleepless? Like I'm asking the questions, Kim. I mean, it wasn't until you told me about a child. But that you were struggling with, like, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. I'm like, what the Sam hell for? Because I can't. Like, it, it, I mean, it's bewildering. Well, because I'm not a, it's we're because, like drowning and nobody yeah. will talk to us about it well, being a spade, you know? Um, because we're not deemed, we're not special education specialists. The same reason yeah. why it's hard to have a child at the daycare who has a lot of additional needs that people aren't trained to take care of. So it's the same way that I can't say, oh, I think your child has strep throat. Like, I'm not supposed to say that I'm, because right, I'm not right. a doctor, right? Or, oh, that rash is probably an allergy. Why don't you go home and give them Benadryl? Like, I cannot say something like that. Do you know what I mean? Because that's- Well, I think the, the problem is the roundabout, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand liability. 
obviously no one wants to say, Hey, by the way, I think your kid's autistic. You yeah. know, like no one wants to say that unless they're actually getting an evaluation. I love when they ask you and then I'm like, yes, now I can do it. Now I can <laughs> yeah. But really the, the problem is, okay, so early intervention can't say, hey, we see some signs about autism or whatever. Although they did it say is. that to me, so I don't know. Uh, the school or daycare cannot say that either. No. Okay. And then you go to your pediatrician with your concerns that you see for 30 minutes and they say, oh, we'll check back in a year. Okay, well, what are you supposed to do at that point? Like, you, you have you people keep sweating. talking to you about these things. Like, I mean, I think the tagline could be, we think you should talk to your pediatrician about scheduling an evaluation just to rule anything out. Yes. Yeah, then, I, do, I do. And I do say stuff like that. Yeah, yes. realize, of course you say stuff like that, Kim, because you're in the know and awesome. But I mean, like for everyone Thanks. out there who's a provider, daycare provider, teacher, Yes. It, it takes one sentence. Talk to your pediatrician about scheduling a developmental evaluation to rule anything out. You don't even have to say, we think your kid's autistic. Yes. Then you get with a clinical psychologist or developmental pediatrician who or does a three-year wait list. evaluations, who can tell you the answer that no one else in the world can say to you I mean that's it problem solved well, people and I think I get the other side of it I get that like because there could be crazy Mrs. Yes. Blah, blah blah who's just like oh your kid annoys me so I'm gonna tell you your kid's autistic like yes of course there's a reason that a medically trained person who evaluates your child is supposed to say this because it's it's a medical clinical diagnosis, diagnosis. Yes. Clinical yes. diagnosis yes. yes and but at the same time, it's like, it's really hard. And I'm, I'm not parents. That was like, like Rachel, like denial, I guess, like had no clue. And I just, I guess I fully didn't understand what autism was. I would have taken any reason for my kid not to be autistic or have a developmental delay, like any, so like Me if too. grandma's saying in one year, oh, it's normal. He's a boy, but I'm going to take that over. Like someone in the daycare or whatever being like, well, maybe, maybe this. And I'm just going to be like, you know what? you're a 19 year old who doesn't know shit about life. You've probably never been around a kid. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I have someone to come up to me and just say like, well, yeah, it's so hard too. Cause it's like, you know, it's like, we know because we're around nine, two year olds yeah. or 23 year olds. And we know when yeah. something is a typical, not to say it's definitely special needs or disability. Like there, there could be, right. there's a plethora of reasons that kids could be, you know, acting Yes. Out. You know, I'm always like, yeah. But every day I would get the words great on her freaking report. It's not like tabs where it's like, ooh, a little, yeah, yeah. we're not fitting in here. This um, little square peg situation. No, it's like, good. We put her on Ritalin at her four year well check prior to being on the wait list. Cause we didn't actually know if we'd make it alive to the evaluation. Like this kid's running in the street. She's leaving the building. Yeah. She's running from daycare. She's going to my work. Like what the hell, you know? Yeah. And we, it was like her second dose, I think of, of Ritalin. And the school says to me in the hallway with eyes, looking at these pretty brown eyes. Okay. Right here. They say, Oh my God. She talked to her peers today. What? She had by that time regained words. She was a chatterbox at home. She could tell you every script from every Daniel Tiger. So wait, you're telling me that the kid who I have all these stories about with all this stuff has never spoken in your building and you haven't told me. So many moments like that. Yeah. I hate it. 
Well, my thing is like, I probably needed three or four people to, to tell me or to hint at it. I needed that. So if you're one of those people, just hint at it. They may not get it right away, but when they hear it the third time, they might be like, okay, I'm really going to go talk to my pediatrician about this. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and what I was getting at is for me, I was the same, Jamie. I was like, what are these people talking about? My kid's two years old. They don't know anything about anything. He doesn't have autism. I don't want him to have a diagnosis at this early age. Like what the hell? But I think part of that was because the wrong person was talking to me about my kid's development. I was not in front of the person who could actually say anything that was clear. Instead, I was in front of 47 people telling me one-liners about how my kids aren't fitting into their programs. You know what I mean? Like I for sure was that parent who was like, there's no way. There's no way my sweet, kind gentle spirit of a boy is autistic you know like, like it, also like we don't know what autism exactly is right. like people right. who are around a lot of kids like and now we know so now i look at people i'm diagnosed oh my god people, like, all the <laughs> everybody everybody I, has like, a spectrum like, I, had no clue. I didn't know there yes. like there being such a huge difference like even i knew going out in public there was a big difference of Jesse at home and Jesse in public. Yeah. A big, big difference. I did not realize. I thought he, because I was a really shy kid. I was like, he's just really shy and has a hard time out about with people. One day I was talking to the doctor. I was like, so, or to the child psychologist actually. And I was like, so does him acting different in public, is that a sign of autism? And he goes, yeah, it's harder for him to deal with like being around different people in the world. It's hard for him to be out in different sounds. Like, I did not compute that in my brain. Like, yeah. So yeah. we don't know what we're looking at, which is our kids. Yes. Oh. Well, what I want to get at with my sweet, kind, gentle spirited boy is that he was very mellow as a two-year-old, like as a, as a toddler, he was like doing his own thing, whatever. And what I understood about autism was one view of generally what you see in the media or whatever it is about autism, I did not understand all these deep, beautiful layers that come along with an autism diagnosis. And so then I was like, just on the defense all the time. And also uber pregnant <laughs> with my second child. Well, so I, I usually lead with um, sensory processing yeah. or sensory issues. I don't even say like a disorder. You know, some kids have sensory that is issues. So smart, Kim. I know because like it really just doesn't sound that bad when it's really the core of the issues, yeah. you know, co-concurrent with the autism, part of the autism, whatever, but Plus it's like, it, it doesn't put people, it doesn't get your back up the way the word autism does, you know, or disorder. Or, or sometimes I say, sometimes we see these behaviors in children that down the line end up being diagnosed with ADHD, which is another thing that people don't get that worked up about because like, it's so common that it's not like, you know, it, they people feel like autism is just gonna really set their child apart especially when you're you know in this younger age and, it's, and you don't know about it and all that so that's kind of sometimes what I do just to kind of it just even though in my head I'm like mm, that's not what it is but like I kind of like use that just to soften the thing up and say you know really you should talk to your pediatrician they might be able to get you an evaluation but then I had one mom that like the doctor kept telling her and she was very upfront she came to look at the daycare she goes I think my son might be autistic he's doing this this and this like I'm really concerned I want to get him in a daycare and get him around other kids and kind of see how it goes I want you guys to tell me and then of course I told her that I had an autistic child and I said listen I said you need to tell your doctor 
call him and say, I want an evaluation from my son. I said, do not ask. Yeah. I said, you tell him. I said, it's going to be a six to nine month wait. So, you know, if that, all that time goes by and then, you know, he starts talking, he starts developing, catching up, and then you don't think he needs the evaluation, then you just cancel it. And she goes, oh my God, it worked. She goes, I called. I said, I want a referral for an evaluation. And they were like, okay. Keywords, people. Keywords. Don't ask a pediatrician. Don't ask anybody shit. (laughs) I I wish I could slap, go back and slap myself. I wish I could (laughs) slap the question mark out of me about seven years ago. (laughs) There are statements that need to be made. And the truth of the matter is, is when you make a statement like that, or you declare something in this fashion, you could be qualifying for things instead of asking and then waiting for the no answer. For instance, I need an evaluation in Minnesota is like 30 days of this, 90 days of this, like it's this whole process. It kickstarts it. You say like, do you think everything's okay? That is not saying you need an evaluation, you know, and now you're in three grades later before enough people have been ticked off at your kid enough to like raise the flags. And it is, there's a lot of emotions. I feel like that go along with it. And I think that's what makes it really hard for parents because whether those emotions are like making you be in denial or sometimes people are the opposite. Sometimes people want to like, you know, jump forward to the head and go straight when it's like, okay, there's other steps to take in between because it is just such an emotional thing, I think for us, you know, and I think that clouds sometimes your judgment and, you know, you want to protect your child and defend your child. So if somebody like Tabitha, somebody saying negative things every day, it's like, you know, that's not helpful. That's not helpful to a parent to like be able to like kind of process what's going on. Tabitha, obviously like you knew, you know, but they didn't know, they didn't know that, you know, they didn't know that you kind of knew, they didn't know about Nixon. So it's kind of like they're, you know, you've got to be sensitive to that that type of stuff. You know, it's it's very emotional process. Yeah, well, and you know, I never let my emotions get the best of me. <laughs> I know, I've never seen, I've never seen that happen. Especially in a we school We have that comment, Tabitha. Yeah. Especially in a school Even Keel, right here. Yeah. 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 Neutral. What were Neutral your descriptive words for tabs, Kimmy? Calm and collected, educated <laughs> and sweet. What What did you call her? I Sweet and smart. <laughs> oh. That's nice. Says no evaluator ever. <laughs> They know she's smart. (laughs) I'll read that. Thoroughly, business cards on the table on her way. I'll read that paperwork. She walks in holding her um, law degree all framed, and she's like walking in holding it. (laughs) (laughs) You should have a sign. sign on you. Oh, I have signed paperwork. Tabitha Cabrera, E S Q. Yeah, (laughs) there it is. There's the acronyms, people. Well, Uh, anyway. School is hard as F. Well, it so that's our, that's everyone's first experience. Next episode, we're going to be talking about <laughs> all the we, we really went up. Nothing but uplifted over here at the table today. <laughs> yeah. Good luck out there. Yeah. Happy luck. August or whatever. Good Next Good week, luck. we're going to be talking about the programs our children are in now and the different types of programs of schooling that there are. So we want to thank everybody for taking a seat at the table and listening, and we will see you next week.
Good night, or everyone. Or at a liquor store near you. Happy back to school. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at the table for episode two of our 12th series, Back to School. If you are enjoying our podcast, please make sure to subscribe and re-interview us. For more content, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. We have new episodes every Monday. Join us next week for episode three. See you there. Thank you.